Hello, everybody. I'm Dwayne Mancini, and welcome to another episode of the Project MedTech Podcast. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. For more information on Project MedTech, our events we host, our consulting and advisory services, and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, and follow us on LinkedIn. If you're enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcast by searching MedTech Money on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. MedTech Money is an interview style podcast focused on demystifying raising and investing capital for MedTech companies. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Valentium. Valentium is a contract design and manufacturing firm specializing in end-to-end development, production, and post-market support of diagnostic and therapeutic active medical devices, especially active implantables and other class three medical devices. Valentium's core competencies include electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, embedded software, software as a medical device, mobile apps, CGMP contract manufacturing, embedded cybersecurity, OT cybersecurity systems engineering, human factors and usability, and automated test systems. With customers, customers all over the world, Valentium works with clients at every stage and situation, ranging from startups seeking funding to established Fortune 100 companies. Visit Valentium.com to explore your next step in medical device development. This is an extra special episode because it is episode 150. So in this episode, we thought it'd be a good idea to sit down and talk about the full breadth of Project MedTech Consulting and Advisory. So in this episode, our guests, Sean McGibbon, Stefan Agamanolis, Rich Mazzola, and Aaron Tenhusen, discuss the original problem we saw in the industry, why we developed Project MedTech Consulting and Advisory Services, and how it's evolved so we can continue to support our clients. So without further ado, my discussion with Sean McGibbon, Stefan Agamanolis, Rich Mazzola, and Aaron Tenhusen. Take two. This time, in order of people I'm looking at, Sean, Stefan, Rich, Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Um, another caveat I want to add too is this is the second live podcast we've ever done. Um, so bear with us. Third, I'm sorry, third. Um, but Sean, let's start with you. Who are you and what do you do? Great. So it's great to be here back in my hometown. Uh, first of all, I'm Sean McKibben. Uh, the proud father of four children, JT, Katie, Sarah, and Ella, and been married to my wife, Cindy, for 23 and a half years, uh, my favorite entrepreneur. Uh, what do I do? Uh, I have been helping uh, healthcare organizations succeed over the last 29 years. I uh, had done that on the provider side for the first 26 years of my career, where I had the privilege to serve as a hospital president for 16 years of two different hospitals in the state of Ohio here, and had progressive level responsibility prior to that in uh, provider organizations. I jumped in the startup world about three years ago, really felt the need to make a greater impact. So I'm now the uh, chief operating officer at a medical technology company in Dublin, Ohio, Dossie Simulations. And I also serve on the project and consultancy advisory 
for Project MedTech, where we are accelerating medical technology to improve patient outcomes and lives. And that's been a passion of mine for my entire career. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. And we'll dive into that background here shortly. Uh, Stefan? So I'm Stefan Agamanolis. Um, you uh, uh, mentioned your family, so no, I'm going to have to mention my family. I, I happen to be a Northeast Ohio native. Uh, I, I'm a software engineer by training and background. Uh, I spent about seven years going through the master's and PhD program at MIT in Boston. Uh, did a lot of uh, you know, digital signal processing, computer vision type of work there. Uh, and then I spent the next 10 years uh, in a couple of different research initiatives in uh, Ireland initially and then in Scotland, uh, the latter uh, having been sold into the Glasgow School of Art. And I was uh, starting to feel nostalgic around then and wanted to come back to the United States, but I didn't expect I'd be coming back to Northeast Ohio. I did. I joined Akron Children's Hospital initially in the Research Institute, um, built up some telehealth and telemedicine work there, built a foundation for that. Of course, that uh, became much more important during the COVID uh, period. Um, then I uh, went on to build up the patient experience part of Akron Children's. Uh, and then finally spent the last uh, five years up until the end of last year as a chief innovation officer. And we had a, an innovation center there that commercialized inventions uh, and set up uh, partnerships with uh, outside companies around innovation and a number of other, th other things. And um, then uh, beginning of this year, uh, struck out in some new adventures, joined Project MedTech's uh, roster as a consultant. And, and I'm also the chief strategy officer for a digital health company called Exploro. A tremendous company. Hope hope I get a, get a chance to expose some of that uh, maybe later on. And there are a couple other things I do on the side. Awesome. Uh, thanks, Stefan. Uh, Rich? Yeah, thanks, Dwayne. So Rich Mazzola, I'm the CFO, uh, and I lead our finance efforts here over at Project MedTech. Um, I'm a father of one, 13-month-old, since we're all talking about families here. But uh, one, and we've got a lovely wife in, in, uh, in Macedonia, Ohio. But um, Background is I'm also a recovering public accountant, like similar to Sean. Uh, spent a good chunk of uh, my early career in that, doing you know general audits and tax for small and medium enterprises, but also specialized in the transaction advisory space and exit planning consulting side of the arena. Um, that took me to Oklahoma City for a period of time. I spent about three years in Oklahoma City in Texas and did a lot of fun stuff out there on that side of the coin. Um, while I was in Oklahoma City, there was a fun section of downtown um, OKC called Strawberry Fields, and it was a, a relatively new venture where they were bringing in entrepreneurs and venture groups uh, to help spur up some innovation there, and did some pro bono work with some pre-seed startups, and fell in love with the venture side of the the business world, um, which brought me back to Cleveland, Ohio, and I joined an Akron-based tech startup called Drips, um, which was a telemarketing AI service. They're still cooking down there, um, but after about 13 months with those guys, and we Stopped after we were done fundraising, realized that um, if we weren't fundraising at a Series A level, uh, there wasn't enough work for a director of finance there. And so took that concept back to the firm and launched an emerging companies group focused on fractionalizing the finance position with early stage startups on the tech side. Um, while I was doing that, fell in love with the life sciences side of it as well. And so I had a split uh, practice, one being uh, life sciences and the other being tech. That took me to... Uh, Pease and Associates, spent a few years there uh, doing the same thing, and then eventually met up with yourself, Dwayne, um, and actually, fun fun quick antidote, uh, I was a plus one at Dwayne's wedding, so that was the, the first time I met Dwayne was I was drinking his beer, um, 
but uh, did that. Uh, Dwayne and I had a podcast episode together, and after that, sat down and met with Aaron, and the rest is history. Yeah, uh, I should say mention that Rich's episode twenty one of the podcast. Uh, um, okay, um, Aaron. You stole my plug for uh, Rich. I was going to mention about the whole podcast thing. So, uh, Aaron Tenusen, uh serve as the chief operating officer of Project MedTech. Um, the only person on this podcast who is not from Ohio, um, actually originally from Hershey, Pennsylvania, born in Boston, um, migrated here uh, after going to school up in Michigan, Kettering University. So, I'm an engineer by education, uh, so try not to judge me too, too much on that. So Stefan and I can relate to that, um, while Sean and Rich are as well. So started off my career as an engineer, um, shifted and changed or changed to um, a couple different roles, one being in supply chain and operations. Then I moved over into new product development, um, launching new products in Mexico, uh, various different places in Europe, um, China, and then India as well. Uh, served as their head of operations down in Mexico for a period of time. Great, uh, great opportunity. However, I'd uh, prefer never to do that again. Um, and so I met Dwayne actually playing volleyball against him, which then he later on convinced me to uh, play with him at an office uh, trivia or uh, outing so we both have the love for the show the office yep yeah so um aaron and rich uh, i don't know which one of you want to kind of kick it off first or, or talk about this question right but but uh, the consulting advisory group is something we haven't really talked about on the podcast much for project medtech um you could probably maybe both tell your perspective on this, but I, I approached both of you in different segments, right, on the, on a similar problem, right, about resources not being um, accessible or affordable for very early stage med tech companies, especially pre-revenue, right, which is, is, is a lot of them because they can't generate revenue until they get FDA approval. Um, and this was a problem I saw back in my NAMSA days. You know, we were solving for regulatory quality, reimbursement, clinical trial, uh, animal testing design. But I noticed there was a gap in, in a lot of other areas, operations, commercial strategy, finance strategy. Um, so maybe, maybe Rich, if you want to kind of talk about this, um, talk about our, our client segment of startups and emerging companies, what the goal is of Project MedTech, how we solve for those issues, and kind of give us a rundown of that. Yeah, so let's take that a step back and say, what is? let's define the stages, right? I know a lot of the listeners know this, but you know, pre-seed, we're post-ideation, we're getting involved with some initial funding for proof of concept. Seed stage, we're now developing further into the technology, potentially submitting to the FDA, whether we're doing a 510K, PMA, or de novo. Uh, series A, commercializing the product and taking it to market. So when we talk about these stages, that's how we're defining them, I guess, in this context. I know definitions always shift, but that's for purposes of today. So what we noticed um, uh, when we started this off was pre-seed companies were getting roadblocked with the most limiting factor of startups, which is capital. And some ideas were getting taken to market, some ideas were not. And the concern was, what if we gave them enough resources to get beyond that pre-seed barrier, get through the seed stage, and let the market decide 
whether or not to proceed with the, the product, right? Because if a consumer, hospital system, whoever is going to purchase this um, decides, hey, look, this is a product that's worth uh, pursuing, then it's worth the idea. It's worth the time and the money. So what we're goal and our goal is, is to really look at the role in, in each and meet the startups where they're at versus providing them with a soapbox of stuff and saying, here's all the stuff I expect you to do. And this is somehow going to lead to success. Instead of that, taking a more custom approach and approaching them saying, where are the gaps in your fishbowl? And let's plug those to make sure you fill up. Um, and I see you smirking because that's your analogy. But um, <laughs> the the and, and the areas that we see the most gaps, and this is where our service offering started, were finance, operations, and go-to-market. That also led into investment strategy, which I'll touch on momentarily, and corporate strategy. And so from a finance side of things, because I'm biased, I'll start there, um, bookkeeping, pro forma development, how that correlates with your business plan, your operational milestone mapping, which I know Aaron works on. Uh, more frequently, um, leading that into operations, which is our Gantt charts. How are we moving the needle? How are we building value within the organization? And then eventually commercializing this. And the best way to look at it and what we always analyze with our clients is really three or four major timelines, being that of the regulatory timeline, overlapping that against our development and engineering timeline, and overlapping that against our fundraising timeline. And if we're able to create value bumps in the company, and create a cash curve, that's where we can say, hey, here's when you need to fundraise and bifurcate those sections to say, here's what we got to get done today. Here's what we're going to get done tomorrow and eventually lead you to success in commercializing the product. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and when you can give it to Aaron, because I'm going to have a follow-up question for Aaron. Um, when we say go to market, we're talking about commercialization, right? Because this is kind of like a debatable topic, which which we found is some people define go to market as everything you have to do to get to market. Other people define it as those initial steps to commercialize the product. And so when Rich says go to market, he's referring to what we would define as, as commercialization. Um, Aaron, can you kind of talk about the value of having these all under one roof? Um, because I think this was the other thing that we saw right before this, Rich, you were at a CPA firm doing this exact same stuff. Uh, if you wanted operations experience and how to operate a company, you had to go find someone that had been there, done that, that you probably really can't even afford as an early stage startup. It's difficult, right? Uh, and if you want a commercialization experience, you had to go find someone who, you know, worked at J&J &J or worked at Zimmer or worked at Boston Scientific. They just retired and maybe they're looking to kind of do a little part time gig and support you in some of this early commercialization strategy, which, Sean, we're going to talk about in a second here. Um, but maybe talk about the value of having this under one roof. What's that do for a company? Is it beneficial? Does it save on cost? That sort of thing. Yeah. So I think that's a great point, Dwayne. Um, there's high Thank amount. You. <laughs> there's there's high amounts of uh, value, right? So when you're really looking at uh, established organizations, right, they have multiple different roles and functions. And so if you're a startup or you're, if you're an early developing company, you don't have the cash for that. However, there is a need for it, but you don't necessarily have the cash to go and support it. So um, Rich was talking about the financial performa and how that relies on all of these different roles and functions. Um, they're interrelated. So uh, there's high amounts of value of saying, 
let's have a full team work on this. So having different perspectives. So when we're working together, like Sean, Steph, and Rich, and I, and you, Dwayne, you know, we can all get into the same exact room with one another. We can create a plan and a path that is a go-to-market plan and commercialization plan. So um, having multiple different perspectives on that. So really where the value, where we come in is we're laying the groundwork and framework for a full-time position person to then go and take over. Many people in those roles that go full-time, they don't have experience of rolling up their sleeves. They're more or less pointing and guiding and telling other people what needs to be done. Yeah, and this is a great point, Aaron. Um, it's not that we're replacing any of those people. Um, we are... What we're doing is laying the groundwork so that when they come in, they're able to hit the ground running. Um, and so, so Sean, for you, you know, we, we talked about the finance. We, we kind of talked about the operations piece um, and, and a lot of the operations is milestone mapping. For commercialization, um, is something we saw a lot, and we heard this at the 10X conference, is people talking about reimbursement, 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 and and you have to solve for reimbursement, of course. No one is denying that. But I think something we talked about was, well, are people answering that level up a little bit higher, which is why is a physician going to use this or a clinician? Why is this going to benefit a patient? Why is a payer going to even pay for this? Just because there's a reimbursement code does not mean they have to cover your, your product. Uh, why is a hospital going to pay for it? Why is the CFO going to say, yeah, great, sounds good, let's use this product, let's make the switch? Um, and people oftentimes don't address that, right? We, How many pitches have we seen where they say, well, I got reimbursement? Okay, you have a code, that's great. Um, so maybe let's walk through that on the commercialization side. How are we helping startups? Um, how are you helping startups? How's the team doing it? Sure, and, and I think you know, from an overarching perspective, Dwayne, it's really about the value proposition for for hospitals for potential other payers as you had mentioned patients physicians you know we we love reimbursement right if it's reimbursement and it's going to be paid for that does make the path easier but we also know reimbursement can be a very very complex process and going through getting a code it can be very expensive it can be very arduous and it can be a very long process but there's a lot of different value propositions in healthcare systems if you can reduce cost one of the things that we're hearing a lot about right now are solutions surrounding staffing, uh, burnout rates. Um, nurses are leaving in record proportions right now. Do you have a technology solution that you can offer to assist the overall uh, interdisciplinary model of care to help taking some of those stressors off? So I think one of the things that we have been really able to do here at Project MedTech is put a team together from sales, um, technical people, operations, finance, uh, people who've actually sat in a value analysis committee to be able to say, give us your overarching value proposition. And it just doesn't necessarily have to be about reimbursement or cost. It could be about provider satisfaction. Again, physicians, nurses, respiratory therapists, you name the area of healthcare right now, you have people that are burned out that are leaving, and those are tremendous cost to organizations. So I think that is one thing that we have been really been able to put into perspective for our startups is that you have a solution based on a multi-pronged value proposition, just not one lane. So that's one of the things that I think we have been really helpful for uh, for our clients. And the other thing I would like to touch on that Aaron had mentioned about you know the advantages, we're shoulder to shoulder. 
with our with our clients. Um, you know, one of my frustrations as a former healthcare executive is we would go through these very expensive processes. We'd get a lot of different recommendations, but then we might not have the bandwidth to implement those solutions. So unfortunately, those consulting engagements just became very, very significant cost to an organization, and you really didn't get the benefit out. Um, but we are shoulder to shoulder. If it's you know attending a, a pitch presentation, helping prepare a financial pro formas, explain those, we are truly shoulder to shoulder with our clients, helping those entrepreneurs implement them. Um, you know, it was interesting. I know, Stefan, you have a lot of background with licensing agreements, et cetera, and we've had a lot of people come forward recently with those. And to be having having that expertise of someone who sat on the other side of the table, I think, is inv- invaluable for our organization. Yeah. Um, the one thing, too, I wanted to just kind of touch on is... And we, we talked about it with the with the six month uh, or, or, or with what it would cost to, to bring someone on and then the full time. If you look at laying the groundwork for some of these full time hires eventually and what we're trying to do, we, we know that we have to step away from a startup at some point. But but those six months that we can save you where you don't have the burn rate of a high cost full time employee is critical and i'm sure rich could could touch on it with with proformas and budgets but when you're raising a finite amount of money i mean six months is a big deal and the more overhead cost you have if you don't have results to directly turn from that i mean this isn't a large company where we can like wave we can we can uh weather that storm it's a killer for a lot of these startups um so stefan we're gonna go to you now um and I'm nothing directly asked it about the startups, right? You support a ton of our startup companies as a client success manager. Uh, you help in a number of different areas. But um, today's podcast is about us expanding into a new client base. Um, and those conversations started with uh, Sean and Tim Blair, who's another one of our advisors. But they really got expedited um, uh, with you and our conversations in early January. Um, uh, yeah, I think early January, maybe late December, somewhere in that area, um, about Project MedTech having a unique value proposition to support other types of clients, right? So startup emerging companies is where we started. We'll always support startups and emerging companies, but there were some adjacent areas that we thought we might be able to add some support here. Um, so why don't we, I'll, I'll list them and then you can kind of talk about our conversations and how this came about, but maybe set the scene for the problem, right? So we have hospital and, um, um, physician groups, we have accelerators, incubators, um, and we have uh, investment groups, right? Think angel groups, uh, VCs, uh, family offices, private equity, that kind of thing. Let me just talk about the issues you saw in the field and then how our conversations materialize from there. Sure. Maybe we should uh, start talking with um, hospitals and healthcare systems. Um, I I mean, the reality is a lot of these medical technology, health technology ideas are spawned in healthcare institutions. They're being spawned by clinicians, by nurses, by other uh, staff members who have ideas because they're surrounded by unmet needs. You know, they're they're in the thick of it. They're they're you know they're doing the daily work and they recognize waste or you know how how a device doesn't work the uh, the way they uh, wish it could. And so there are just a huge number of unmet needs uh, and a lot of great ideas uh, coming out of these. Um, uh, staff members in hospitals. And so um, the question is, how can you leverage that creativity and, and all of that uh, 
uh, energy uh, to uh, and then translate it uh, into opportunities that can you know get funding uh, be spun out as a, as a company you know and eventually uh, um, come to fruition in the market so hospitals I think need help doing that that's it's not I mean hospitals are, are good at patient care you know that's that's what that's their bread and butter uh, they're not necessarily as good or uh, as acquainted with the process of commercializing a piece of medical technology or you know an app or a health innovation of some kind uh, the larger systems obviously have been doing it longer there's more expertise there uh, but if you're a smaller system like a smaller physician group let's say uh, you're not necessarily going to have the resources to have a, an in-house team and so you're going to need to try to find resources to help uh, move some of those opportunities forward uh, so I think that's where uh, we thought uh, the services of Project MedTech could come in is to help at those earliest stages within the institutions where those ideas are being hatched uh, and then also carry them through after they're you know able to be I don't know sort of graduated from those institutions and enter an entity of their own we can even continue uh, supporting uh, and uh, you know uh, navigating uh, that uh, that entity as it grows yeah yeah I think to your point we started to realize that um, a lot of companies were coming out of uh, institutions like that um, but then they also were the same kind of feedback we were giving our startups, right? Hey, start with your problem. Become a master of your problem that you're trying to solve. Don't fall in love with your solution. It's you and your team. It's the same thing that these innovation groups are trying to coach their entrepreneurs through, right? And so it just made logical sense for us to kind of step in there. Um, and then I think when when Stefan approached us with this 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 idea, this issue of hey, you know, we could support some of these groups. I think us internally, uh, Aaron Rich and I, kind of sat down and said. Well, we have a unique value proposition here, right? We have 150 episodes of the Project MedTech podcast. We have 140 some of MedTech money. Um, we have a lot of education out there, but we're also living and breathing this every day with individual clients. Why couldn't we step in and say, hey, here's some ideas on how to maybe formulate this this innovation idea, right? I mean, that was kind of the next step of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the challenges you have at those earlier stages are a little bit different from the ones that you have, you know, that, uh, you know, that Rich kind of walked us through a little bit earlier. I mean, for example, you know, we're not talking about where we're going to raise money from or, you know, creating a financial pro forma at those earlier stages. We're, you know, I, I like to think of it in terms of these three dimensions of, uh, desirability, feasibility, and viability. You know, you get an idea that comes into your pipeline, and the first question is, you know, who who wants this thing? Is the unmet need really real or not? Uh, and sometimes you need to uh, do a lot of work to uh, understand it. Do, do people, do other staff members in other hospitals, other other uh, clinicians, feel the need in the same way that that person who uh, um, brought forward the idea in the first place? Uh, feasibility. Can this thing actually be built? You know, can it be engineered, or is it science fiction? Uh, but in addition to can it be engineered, can it actually be engineered to have the effect that we want it to have? Like, will it actually work? Viability: Can we actually go to market uh, and uh, and create a business around this that can succeed? So, is there some way to get competitive edge? That could be in the patent domain, or just moving quickly in market, adding features, being the first to market. So those three things together, um, uh, desirability, feasibility, viability, those are the sort of classic dimensions that we would try to, try to um, understand the opportunity around, de-risk it. Uh, and if, uh, if, if an opportunity is passing muster on all those dimensions, then that's 
uh, a good one to invest in, you know, to move forward in some way, do, do a little engineering work, uh, start uh, patent applications, uh, start looking around for uh, ways for it to to be licensed or spun out of the uh, the institution. Yeah, it's super helpful. So, Shauna, kick it over to you. Do you have a comment on this piece? Yeah, you know, I was just going to comment when Stefan talked about hospitals and innovations because this is what I experienced um, during the first you know 25 years of my career. Hospitals often confuse innovation with process improvement, and and I was guilty of that as well. So, if we were able to reduce our you know throughput time in the OR so we could get more cases through. If we're able to reduce our left without being seen very hospital ter uh, specific terms in the emergency department and create that more efficient for the patients. It was innovative, but it really was more process improvement. I think mm -hmm. what we're looking at now for the radical transformation of the healthcare delivery system, and many of our clients have this, and I'm not gonna name individual clients, where we have the ability to truly bring innovative technology solutions, devices, and technologies into hospitals to help create that radical transformation of the delivery system, which is true innovation. So that's one of the things that I'm really excited about the last three years of my career of spending on the startup side is getting into that transformation of the delivery system through using intelligence, technology, products, devices, solutions, so we can get away from that process improvement side of things to true innovation in the healthcare delivery system. Yeah, and, and I was just going to ask you that, Sean. That's kind of where I was going with the next question, which was, what's the appetite for um, hospitals to spin up an innovation arm, right? Because there's a there's a cost to it. Um, however, if you do it right, and this is this is just based on me talking to the both of you, right? Um, there is a benefit to a hospital spinning up an innovation arm eventually, mm -hmm. right? From a top line revenue perspective, is that accurate? Or can you kind of walk through this? I mean, I, I guess we talk about this with all of our startups, right? Is well, what what what's the benefit from a cost perspective to the healthcare system? Someone has to be benefiting. You got to follow the money. So for a hospital. What's the benefit for them saying, hey, we have an innovation arm. Is it part to recruit people? Is there some type of benefit to revenue? I mean, walk me through that. Yeah, so, so the hospitals who have done it well over the years have really looked at this as a physician recruitment tool. They want to bring physicians, scientists, and innovators into their organization. And if they have an incubation arm, it's much easier to do that. Um, a lot of the early incubation arms in the hospital side of things were done in the pediatric side. Um, you know, you look at where gene therapy has come and some big announcements here in Ohio recently, but that was where a lot of the recruitment started is, do you have an innovation arm that's going to support my technology and my research and hopefully commercialization, or you don't, which could be a key driver in someone, why someone doesn't choose. Um, obviously, hospital innovation arms now are on to the acute and the adult side of things. Uh, virtually every large system across the country have them. And definitely the appetite and the desire is there. Um, they're almost a rule of engagement right now where you have to have one. I think the challenge that healthcare delivery systems have right now is there's been so many competing priorities post-pandemic from financial crises, staffing challenges, that it's, it, it's a very, very long investment return cycle. And with multiple competing priorities, capital projects, inflationary pressures, it's very difficult for hospitals and health systems to capitalize them the way that they really need to be 
and continue to move them forward. So will and desire is definitely there. I think there are some competing uh, priorities right now. Maybe I would just add to that, you know, beyond the workforce uh, benefits. I mean, if you if you want to attract talent to your hospital or, you know, su- you know, support them uh, and keep them, uh, having these types of services available, again, whether it's uh, from an internal team or, you know, something that's outsourced, I think is a tremendous benefit. It's like a, 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 an employee staff benefit. Uh, beyond that, I, I think, you know, there are financial reasons. I mean, uh, margins in healthcare continue to get squeezed from every single direction. I mean, in the last few years, the healthcare industry has been under sort of multiple uh, overlapping crises and expense control as a result of inflation, staffing, all, all of these things hitting at the same time. Uh, and so uh, you have to be innovating. Uh, and some of this is about generating alternative revenue streams. You have to leverage your assets, monetize your assets, uh, and do more than just patient care. Uh, in order to uh, to financially survive, uh, and that could be in the form of you know licensing uh, IP, licensing licensing patents, and, and making royalties, a lot of other uh, ways to do that. Uh, and then one other comment, I mean, some of this connects to uh, the mission side of hospitals too. I think if uh, you know, most hospitals that I know of are nonprofit organizations, they're mission-oriented or organizations. Uh, they're most likely dedicated to you know, the health of their populations, maybe in their region or maybe, you know, a larger uh, uh, area of the world. Uh, and so um, developing innovations, commercializing new uh, medical technology, health innovations, I think could be seen as contributing to the mission of the organization as well. So there's a lot of different uh, ways that you can hook in um, uh, an innovation uh, function uh, to uh, to the aims of the of the hospital system. I mean, we didn't talk about uh, economic development. Uh, it might be expected that the healthcare institution plays a role in the region uh, in terms of economic development. So uh, a lot of a lot of different reasons. Yeah. So keep the microphone. Um, <laughs> we're gonna pass it back to Rich and here in a minute. But um, we talked about startups. The problem we saw how we were helping to solve some of their problems, right? Our, our, our solution or where we fit into the puzzle. We just heard about the problem for hospital networks and, and physician groups and um, in, the, in the healthcare field. Talk about our how we're going to support those companies, right? Because this is, this is new. Um, we haven't really told anybody that we're going to be expanding into this space. So maybe just kind of step and walk through a little bit of if you're one of those groups, you have an innovation arm, or you're going to spin up an innovation arm. Why reach out to Project MedTech, and where can we support? Yeah, well, that could be a long answer or a short answer. I'll try to make it short. Uh, you know, I think go, go medium. But, yeah, medium. <laughs> I don't know. So, you know, I think you have to. The first thing um, that I suppose one has to ask is, where are you in the process? I mean, if you're uh, uh, an institution that's starting from scratch with all of this, and you really have to understand. Uh, your reasons for getting into this type of activity in the first place, uh, connecting with stakeholders, leaders, uh, understanding what they want to get out uh, from it, uh, what success looks like, uh, and then start uh, designing the program from that perspective. If you have an active program already, uh, most likely you're going to have gaps that need to be filled in various areas. You may uh, need someone that specializes in you know, digital health opportunities and understanding, you know, uh, how to vet those, you know, what, what makes a good or, 
or not so good a digital health opportunity. You might need some help in your IP strategy. You might need some help in your, you know, uh, regulatory um, uh, insight. So I think uh, uh, filling gaps is another way that that we can help uh, beyond just designing the program from scratch. And then I think there are still other um, institutions that maybe again smaller ones that don't want to have an internal team, uh, an internal function and would rather outsource it and make this uh, something that's part of their, essentially their employee benefit uh, program. Uh, you know, that their employees and their staff members, their physicians or nurses have the ability to use the resources that are being provided by a company like Project MedTech in order to uh, uh, move their uh, medical technology ideas forward. So I don't know if I've answered your question entirely, but I think we can sort of slot in different uh, types of uh, assistance depending on where you're at uh, in your organization. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the key there to just highlight is flexibility. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the same approach we took to startups, which Rich kind of described initially, or maybe Aaron did. Um, but the whole the whole concept was meet them where they're at and fill their gaps. Right. Yeah. Um, if they want us to be a full outsource team, we are more than capable of doing that. Um, if they don't need that, we can provide smaller chunks for them. Yeah. And I want to add one more thing, which is, you know, you've described us. Uh, as Project MedTech as you know, consultants and advisors, and that's obviously true. Um, but I think the way we would like to think of this, or maybe our philosophy in serving clients, is to act as team extenders. You know, we we, we want to be uh, on the team. We're not just sort of beaming in and out uh, whenever uh, uh, there's a, a request. But we uh, we try to um, be a part of your team uh, and act like a part of your team. May not have been the most articulate way of putting it, but I think it's, this idea of team extension, I think, is really important to yeah, us. We, we have a ton of analogies for this. We all use different ones. Rich Rich used my fishbowl one. Um, we do this one where we talk about being a coach, but also a player, so more of a player coach. Rich loves to use the example of um, most consultants and advisors tell you where to go dig your trench, but we will tell you where to dig it or give you options on where to dig it, but we'll also get in there and dig the trench with you, right? So I think that is a key point um, because that is different than a lot of consulting firms that I've inter interacted with or been a part of. Um, so, so Rich, let's go to you here. The other clientele was accelerators, incubators. Mm -hmm. um, maybe walk through the problem we saw with accelerators, incubators, um, or some of the issues we saw of companies coming out of that, and then walk through how we work with them, and even more specifically, probably Bounce Innovation mm -hmm. Hub in Akron. Yeah, so let's define what an accelerator and an incubator is. Uh, so an accelerator program is one where companies will apply, they'll go into it, there is a set criteria of what they need to accomplish, and then they graduate from that accelerator program, effectively launching them into the uh, ether. Um, uh, Excel, or I'm sorry, uh, incubators are physical locations that have um, maybe resources internally like 3D printers or they have access to engineers or there's a physical space where they can rent an office in addition to resources similar to an accelerator program. Um, each of those programs, accelerators and incubators, both have what's called an EIR or entrepreneur or executive in residence. And I think the, the what we saw is maybe not the problem, but maybe a gap in that um, skill set is that we have a lot of EIRs that are great coaches. They are great entrepreneurs, but they were a scientist and then an entrepreneur. They were a general counsel and then an entrepreneur. They were CFO and then an entrepreneur. 
And so their skill set and their, their breadth of resources is limited in some capacity to what they can accomplish as an individual. And so that doesn't mean they don't have the resources externally of themselves. But what we saw as an opportunity was we come to the table with a CFO, a hospital administrator, a venture group uh, uh, support executive, and operations uh, regulatory. And the idea was somebody is always going to be the quarterback of any relationship. But the ability for them to use the bucket of hours that the accelerator incubator has given that AIR can now be spread between multiple skill sets within an organization. And so our work at the Bounce Innovation over the last few years has been uh, received very positively. And the reason for that is we have an individual we call client success manager, but a quarterback for that client relationship. And when that client comes to us, and maybe they have five, maybe they have 10 hours available on a monthly basis, they come to us and say, well, I need help with X, uh, which could be a pro forma, which could be a reimbursement strategy, which could be a milestone mapping Gantt chart. And our ability to just say, yep, I got it. Here's the individual that's going to work on this this month. Here's where we're going to allocate those hours and those resources. Um, that's what gives us the flexibility to move them along much faster than maybe a single individual trying to get another resource externally of themselves into the organization. Yes, su su super helpful. Um, all right, so Aaron, last uh, client base that we've we've kind of moved into and started supporting, and I should say that we've done we've supported clients in all four of these buckets, right? It's just now we're publicly ready to take on more, right, in these areas, right? Startups and, and emerging companies we always felt comfortable with, of course. Uh, hospital and uh, hospital groups and, and hospital systems. Um, you know, we've worked with a few people, so now we feel a little more comfortable. We've got our feet underneath us. We're, uh, we're not ahead of our skis, right? Because that's a big thing we've all talked about internally, the whole team, right, is we don't want to bite off more than we can chew. If we're not providing value, then we need to get out. Right. And so we're starting to get ready to do those things. Heard about accelerators, incubators, venture groups, uh, I should say investment groups as a whole. Right. Angels, family offices, venture groups. We do a lot with deal flow, um, but maybe walk through a little bit of, of us expanding into due diligence support and, and portfolio support and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think a lot of this can tie back to the, the podcast, the two different podcasts that we have, which is Project MedTech and MedTech Money. So hearing a lot about people's stories about raising money or deploying capital as well of what do they look for? And so since we're helping a lot of these startups and developing companies and we're working really closely with them, we're an extension of their team like Stefan had mentioned. Um, we know and understand what will make them successful. What are their key and critical milestones? What are the, the big risks that are out there? And I, what I would really say as a part of like the overall team, um, which there's only a portion of us on this podcast episode, but an absolute dynamite um, group of individuals. So I'll use Sean and, and Hillary as an example of talking about you know, Sean can go and take a look at it from his experience of, you know, running and operating hospital system. A, and then Hillary, of she sold into the hospital. So you can look at it from two different perspectives. So, you know, a top down, bottoms up approach of what are those, what are their challenges going to be? And does that meet their, their overall pathway? So as an investor is looking to deploy capital, we can go in, you know, eyes wide open and really go and identify what are some of those risks that are out there to say, 
hey, this would be our recommendation or these are some of the things to take a look at and consider. Yeah, perfect. Um, so kind of looping all this together, you can kind of see some of the themes that we've been uh, talking about and uh, at a high level, the problem and how we are solving things. Um, just going down the line, Aaron, Aaron, you can start. Um, is, it, is there anything else that you like to mention that we missed on this episode so far that you wanted to touch on? I think just finding partners in general. Um, you know, and, and Dwayne had mentioned about adding value. So whether or not you do work with Project MedTech, that's perfectly fine. We want to make sure that if, um, you know, we're, we're really driving for creating an ecosystem where medical technology thrives. And so if it's not us, it could be somebody else, or we're going to know somebody who can add value, um, for your technology. I think one other thing that, um, we haven't touched on is really the the exit planning side of things, the due diligence side of things, where we, we touched on due diligence as far as the side of the table with a investment group reviewing the companies, evaluating those companies. But that same analysis that we're conducting in the gaps a company can have, and I call it the risk multiple, but it's the how risky is the business as an investment opportunity to then decrease its value. We look at that same analysis on the other side of the table and basically say, hey, look, these are the things you got to improve in order to increase your value and de-risk your, multi your risk multiple um, as a client. And I think that's an opportunity for positioning yourself for success long term, not just to get to that next round, but also we've built the foundation of this organization to be a sustainable startup and not just a startup that's going to exit quickly. It's the idea of exit will come, but if you build a sustainable startup at the front end, it's going to be much easier for you long run. Awesome. Stefan? I think I want to play off of uh, one of the words you just used, Aaron, um, ecosystem, which I think, um, you know, there are so many organizations that medical technology or health innovation opportunities transit through on their road to fruition. You know, you start in a healthcare institution, perhaps you move through an incubator or an accelerator, you're trying to get investment, you get that investment, then you're in the portfolio of that investment fund. Uh, there are a lot of um, ecosystem organizations, and uh, and we recognize they they all have gaps, they all have strengths, uh, and we're trying to touch on uh, each of those uh, in some sort of useful way. But just um, having having that network so that all of these ecosystem organizations are working together to you know push you know valuable new uh, innovations to market, I think is is a really central uh, part of this. And, and just real. Just real quickly, Dwayne, um, to touch upon about the value to hospital ventures, um, you know, we provide a lot of deal flow. You know, the companies that we're dealing with right now, they have true solutions. This isn't a back of the napkin type of idea. These are true demonstrable solutions that they're bringing to market. Um, we've developed a regulatory strategy with them, a reimbursement. Aaron's worked on manufacturing uh, product. Rich has done the pro forma as the licensing agreement. So we really have that opportunity to bring deal flow to them for solutions that are going to benefit their patients, their physicians, and the, the bottom line as well. So it's, it's a very well-vetted process that we have. Um, our clients mature very quickly under you know the milestone mapping that we offer to them so these are well vetted ideas because we know that hospitals are highly regulated and then when they do decide to trial a technology a device etc there is a lot of work that needs to go into that the vast majority of our clients that work has already been done yeah and i think uh sean 
something you just brought up, I'll just touch on, um, because we talk about internally all the time, right, is, is what's our biggest X factor, right, or one of our biggest X factors, right? Uh, I would argue that we have a super talented team. Um, but the other thing is the N of XX, right? We, we've, we have 50 plus clients. Um, if you include ones that aren't active anymore, it's over 60. Um, if you take all of our histories and you go back even further from there, the number is astronomical, right? And that's what we're trying to do here is it's, it's our, what we know, but it's also our experiences and our collective experiences that we've all seen that we can kind of bring together. Um, Devin Campbell from product, we met him. Uh, he's a partner of ours. He's done a three-part series. Uh, Rich and I met him in Boston um, when Aaron missed his flight, which we will talk about on episode 200 um, in the founders episode. Um, but anyways, we met with him and he said, you know, the way I look at this is for product development, we're the Sherpa, right? Taking them up Mount Everest, right? Or we're their, their trail guide or whatever he used. And that really rings true is is we're helping them climb the mountain of entrepreneurship. And what we're trying to do as a collective team is say, hey, look, I've seen this before. This is how we solved it. Here's you, you can go left, you can go right, right? Here's your path. And I think that's one of our biggest X, X factors is because of that experience. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on too is we talked to all of our startups about problem and team. And I will take each a opportunity to publicly uh, talk about how awesome the team is at Project MedTech. And you're getting to hear four of them right now, right? Um, but they tell you as an entrepreneur, you got to solve a good problem and you got to have a good team. And we know there's a problem with MedTech startups. And I hope at this point in this episode, you can understand that the team at Project MedTech surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. We have a team of 14 now, and I'm confident 15. Um, I'm confident that uh, the other 14 are much smarter than I am. And I'm just fortunate to have the four of you here today to show off exactly what we bring here at Project MedTech. So thank you all so much for being here. Um, links to everyone's LinkedIn will be in the show notes. Um, we'll have a link to Project MedTech's website. Um, and there you could check out the consulting tab and there's those four groups we just kind of talked about today of the different clients we're hosting, but, uh, thanks everyone for being here. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at Thanks for listening and have a great day.